Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Good morning, Lake Forest Church. Thanks for joining us for Church Online. My name's Aaron. I'm lead pastor at Lake Forest Church Westlake. And boy, what a joy to be with you today. I'm so excited to kick off this brand new series. Uh, well, you know, it was just a few weeks ago, uh, I was on the way, I was running to the store, running to Food Line on 150 to get some quarantine supplies. Uh, you know, uh, chips, salsa, sour cream, jalapenos, chocolate chips, just the bare essentials for survival. And it was on the drive there when I noticed that my tire was getting a little flat. It was just a tiny bit, and so I I was kind of in a hurry. I thought, well, what should I do? I decided, let me just swing through the mechanic real quick. I can put some air in it. He can look at it, and we can be on our way. In fact, I was in such a hurry, I didn't even bother to turn the engine off. But as I was squatting down on the ground, filling my tire with air, I heard a voice shout from the other side of the parking lot. It said, hey, Pastor Aaron. And I stood up, and I looked over, and it was a ministry partner here at Lake Forest. We kind of came together, we smiled, you know, we had all been social distanced for so long, we were just excited to see a friendly face. But we marveled uh, at this connection. She and her husband had gone out, it was the first day of sunshine in many days, and they decided to take a drive, but as they were driving, the check engine light came on on their car, and they decided to do the same thing I did, just swing by the mechanic, have them take a quick look. And as we're there talking and laughing about the coincidence, I noticed tears are beginning to well up in her eyes. She looks at me and she says, Aaron, I wasn't going to tell you this, but my father died this morning. And we just kind of sat there in silence. We began to talk and she shared with me about her father. She'd actually just moved her father to be closer to her and her husband so they could take better care of him. She said, it all happened so fast. He just got here and now he's gone. And so we sat there and we, we wept together and we prayed together. But what struck me is as we were getting ready to say goodbye, as we were leaving the mechanic, she turned back to me and she said, Aaron, Aaron, this really was a God thing, wasn't it? I mean, God's the one who orchestrated this. This is one of those God moments, isn't it? I said, yes, it is. This is a God thing. It's a God moment. There are two words that the Bible uses for time. The first is the word chronos. You already know what this one means. It's the word that we get chronological from. It's time that is passing. It's it's ongoing time. But there's another special word that the Bible uses, and it's the word kairos. Kairos is the word that means a moment, a special moment, a God moment. Maybe you've had God moments like that in your life. Moments when God seems so close, seems so near, seems so present. It was as if heaven and earth were touching. It was as if you could reach out and touch God yourself. It was a kind of kairos moment. Maybe you long for more of those kinds of moments in your life, but you don't know how to recognize them even if they were happening. What if, what if God is actually at work in the everyday moments of your life But we don't even see it. We don't even realize it. Well, that's what this series, God's Stories, is all about. I'm so glad you're with us, whether you're a Christian, a skeptic, or a spiritual explorer. Here's what's true for each of us. God has a purpose for each and every life. 
And if you've ever doubted this, I want you to hear me clearly today. God has a purpose for your life. A story that he's inviting you and me to be a part of. And what we hope, our prayer as a church for this series, is that this will be a series that will help you to discover and learn how to live out your role in his story. We all have a role to play. So each week we're going to be looking at a different person from the Bible, a different character, to discover how God moved in the life of that person with an eye towards, a lens towards, discovering how God might be moving in your life and my life too. Today I want to kick off this series by looking at a guy from the Old Testament, a guy named Jacob. If you have a Bible handy, I want to invite you to grab it or maybe you want to send someone to fetch it. Uh, We're going to be in Genesis chapter 28. If you're new to the Bible, Genesis is the first book. All the way at the very beginning, look for the big number 28 and the small number 10. That's where we're going to pick up today. Jacob, by the way, is the grandson of Abraham. Abraham's the guy that God made a big promise to. I'm going to bless you, Abe. I'm going to bless you. You're going to have uh, incredible descendants, and I'm going to use you to bless the world. But Jacob is also one of the key figures in the Old Testament. In fact, it's Jacob's 12 sons that will one day become the 12 tribes of Israel. At the end of Jacob's life, God will give him a new name, the name Israel. But none of that has happened yet. None of that has occurred. In fact, in chapter 28 of Genesis, Jacob's story is just beginning. It's just getting started. And what we're going to see today is that he's, he's on the run. He's running from home. He's running for his life when suddenly God meets him in the most unexpected place, in the most unexpected of ways. Let me read this to you. This is from Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. Jacob left Beersheba, that's his hometown, and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway, or some of your Bibles might say a ladder, a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it, or next to it, stood the Lord, And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and the east, to the north and the south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. He's kind of echoing the promise he made to his grandfather Abraham. But then God gets personal with Jacob. Jacob, I am with you and will watch over you. Wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord was in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. There is none other, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, Bethel, though the, city was used, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then, then the Lord will be my God and this stone I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Holy cow, what a crazy encounter. What a crazy story. 
Well, there is so much in this passage uh, that I would love to nerd out on you, uh, nerd out on with you. I want to do this to help us make sense of what's happening. I want to break this down into three scenes. First, we're going to look at Jacob's running. He's on the run. What's he running from? Then we're going to look at Jacob's realization. What does he discover? And thirdly, how does Jacob respond? Jacob's running, his realization, and his response. And yes, they all begin with R because today is National Pirate Day, also known as Father's Day. There's your first bad joke. Happy Father's Day. So let's start with this. First, Jacob's running. Jacob's running. The story opens in this really interesting way. We're told Jacob has left his hometown in Beersheba, and he's fleeing to Haman, where his uncle lives. But he's only made it halfway. Suddenly it gets dark and the sun is setting. And the scriptures use this really interesting phrase to describe where Jacob has to stop that night. The Bible calls it a certain place. Which is really just the Bible speak for saying this is no place. This is Boonsville. This is Nowhere any of us would want to find ourselves. Kind of like that certain place between Charlotte and Myrtle Beach where the speed limit goes from 65 to 15 miles per hour and nobody knows why. There's not even a, a, a speedway there where you can get some taquitos and a slushy. It's a nowhere place. It's a transition place. It's an in-between place. Not any place you would expect to encounter God. Not any place you would expect something significant to happen. You see, the first thing we discover about Jacob in this story is that Jacob is a man on the run. If you know anything about Jacob's life up until this point, Jacob has always been on the run. Jacob is always chasing or being chased. It all started in his mother's womb with his twin brother Esau. This is a crazy story. As Esau is coming out, there we see Jacob's hand reaching for Esau's heel. It's as if from the very beginning, Jacob is trying to trip up his brother. Their birth foreshadows the events to come. One day Esau returns home from hunting and he is starving. He's famished and he wants the stew that he smells that Jacob's been cooking Jacob offers to trade a bowl of stew for Esau's birthright. Both men are hungry, and the deal is done. Esau gets a bowl of soup. Jacob gets his older brother's right to a double share of the inheritance and the title of number one son. But Jacob isn't satisfied there. He's still running. He's running after his father's blessing, the blessing that rightly belongs to Esau. So Jacob, with a little help from his mom, dresses up like his brother, he deceives his father Isaac, and he steals his brother's blessing too. Esau consoles himself, we're told, by plotting to kill his brother Jacob. And you thought you and your brother had it bad. You see, Jacob is in danger. That's why he's running. That's why he's leaving Beersheba and going to Haran. He's running to his uncle's house, house hoping to save his life. He's a wanted man. And not just by Esau, by the way, he's ultimately wanted by God. And this journey, as we discover, is not just about Jacob's physical survival. It's about his spiritual survival too. Jacob is running for his life. Most of us, I suspect, kind of know what it's like to live life on the run. Some of us are running from our past trying to escape guilt or, or, or regret or failures or something in our past. Some of us are trying to get away from pain or loss. Sometimes we just want to leave behind the parts of our lives or the parts of ourselves that we don't like 
or that we'd rather keep hidden. Other times, we're running towards a future. For some of us, life on the run is the search for something or someone new, a new job, a new relationship. Surely what we are looking for is out there in the future somewhere. If we can just finally get to it, then... Of course, we all know what it's like to live life on the run just from trying to keep up with the busyness of life, the seemingly endless tasks of ballet uh, classes, uh, softball practices, baseball, workout, bills, job, home, you name it. We could each tell a story of life on the run. It may be specific to us, but it's really just another version of Jacob's story. And the thought, the thought that God could be a part of my story, that God would even want to be a part of my story. Aaron, that just seems so far-fetched. That seems so unbelievable. What would God want to do with an ordinary person like me? And so we just keep running and running until we eventually find ourselves in a certain place, in a nowhere place, where the sun is set, it's gotten dark, and we are finally forced to stop running. Well, that's what happens to Jacob in our story. He can't run anymore, and the Bible says he just lays down on the ground. And the Bible gives us a really funny picture here. This, just, this is kind of absurd. It actually says that Jacob takes a rock, a stone, and he puts it under his head as a pillow. Now look, this was not some kind of ancient Tempur-Pedic stone treatment. Uh, this is not a sleep number pillow on a thousand. The reason Jacob is sleeping on a rock is one reason and one reason only. He doesn't have anything else to sleep on. <laughs> he doesn't have a blanket. He doesn't have a coat to ball up. He's got nothing. He has hit, watch this, rock bottom literally. Bad dad joke number two. Happy Father's Day. I promise you no more. But it's here. Don't miss this. It's here on this stone pillow in the dark, in the middle of Nowheresville, that Jacob will have his great realization. Because you know, sometimes God does his greatest work when things seem most dark and most hopeless. So look at what happens next. Jacob's realization, the text tells us right here, says this. That night he, that's Jacob, that night he had a dream in which he saw a stairway, or some of your translations might say ladder. He had a dream where he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels, we're told, are ascending and descending on this ladder, on this stairway. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of a stairway to heaven, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind, because I'm a child of the 80s, first thing that comes to my mind is Led Zeppelin, right? And the greatest, most epic guitar solo, most epic rock anthem ever recorded in the history of the world, Stairway to Heaven, first song I ever learned on guitar. By the way, it was also the last song at every high school dance I ever went to. Did they do that at your school? In fact, remember Stairway to Heaven would start out, you'd be slow dancing. Remember how we slow dance like this? You'd be slow dancing, and then the song starts to rock out, and you never knew when you stopped slow dancing, you started jumping up and down. All right, let's get back to the story. What Jacob saw in his dream that night was not the album cover to Led Zeppelin IV. It was not. But was probably something more like this ancient ziggurat. 
You see, what most people in the ancient world believed and what many in our world today believe is that God, if he exists, God is somewhere way up there, way out there, way up high in, on his holy hill. And so what they would do is they would build on these high places, these mounds, and they would create this stairway up to the top of these high places. And the thought was, the belief was that if you wanted to get God's attention, if you needed God's help, then you had to ascend this stairway all the way to the top. Maybe you did some kind of special jig or dance and, and you had to make a sacrifice and say the magical prayer. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe you did all of that. God would finally take notice of you. And what if? What if he wasn't the God of the high places? What if he was some other kind of God? See, because what God shows Jacob in this dream is that he does not reside only upon his high and holy hill, but that God is at work in every place, in every moment. That's what the angels ascending and descending on this stairway show. God is at work right here and right now. You know, I grew up singing Stairway to Heaven. Some of you who grew up in the church may have grown up singing another song called Jacob's Ladder. It went like this. We are climbing Jacob's Ladder, Jacob's Ladder, Jacob's Ladder. Every round we go higher and higher. And it's a really cute song for kids, but the theology is utterly wrong. This is not Jacob's Ladder. It is God's Ladder. This is not a stairway to heaven. It is a stairway from heaven. And this, my friends, is the central idea of our faith. Christianity is not about our climbing the stairway to get to God, but about a God who came down to meet us on the very bottom step, right where we are. That's Christianity. That's grace. That's what Jesus has done for us. And this is what Jacob realizes when he wakes up. Look with me at verse 16. It says this. When Jacob woke from his sleep, he thought, holy cow, can you believe it? Surely the Lord was in this place, and I was totally unaware of it. Now, you know, there's more than one kind of sleep, and there is more than one kind of waking up. It happens sometimes. The birth of a baby, an unexpected healing, a marriage that was headed for divorce, being turned around, and suddenly someone wakes up, somebody's eyes get open to the fact that God is right here in this ordinary place, in this ordinary person, in this ordinary moment, and it changes everything. What if God were to open your eyes? What if God were to allow you to see where he is at work in the everyday moments of your life? How would your daily life be different if you had eyes to see and ears to hear? You see, the striking phrase, the turning phrase in this entire passage are these six words that Jacob gives us. Surely God was in this place and I was not aware of it. Jacob says, somehow, somehow I was looking in the wrong direction. God was right here and I almost missed it. That is Jacob's discovery. That is Jacob's realization. And it is this Kairos moment, this God moment, that becomes the first turning point in Jacob's life. I love how his story continues. A couple chapters later, Jacob decides he's going to take the courageous step of trying to reconcile with his brother Esau. Remember the brother that wants to kill him? Jacob decides instead of ripping his brother off, he wants to give back to his brother 
He wants to make amends, a kind of recompense. So he decides to send to Esau this extravagant gift. Listen to how extravagant this is. He sends 220 goats, 220 rams, 30 camels, 50 cows and bulls, 30 donkeys, and one cat. Actually, I made up the cat part. There is no cat in the story. The cat's not actually a biblical animal. God frowns upon cats. In fact, I think if he had sent a cat, his brother might have still wanted to kill him. So it's not good for reconciliation. But let's get back to the story Look at Jacob's response. Look at how he responds to this Kairos moment in his life. How are we to respond? Jacob shows us two things. First, the first thing we're to do when we have a Kairos moment, when we realize that God is closer than we ever could have imagined, that he's right here and right now, the first thing we do is we worship. We simply acknowledge his presence That's what Jacob does here. Look with me at verse 18. It says, early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, the house of God. And I love this picture here because Jacob takes the only thing he's got. He takes his petrified Tempur-Pedic pillow and he says, you know what? This is all I've got. God, I'm going to create an altar for you. I'm going to mark this place. And then he pours oil on it, which is an act of worship in his culture. Jacob says, God, I want to remember, I want to acknowledge that in this spot, in this ordinary certain place right here, you came and met me. So Lord, I want to worship you. And he does that. Do you have any pillars in your life? Places that you have marked. Moments in your life that you look back where God was so close. It was a Kairos moment. He was right there and you almost missed him. You see, Jacob shows us the first response to Kairos moment is to stop and to worship. But he doesn't stop there. Look at what he does next. He also responds by taking a step of faith. Promising his trust and followership of God. Look at verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Jacob responds in worship. Oh God, I can't believe you were here and I almost missed it. And he responds in faith. He says, Lord, will you be my God? Will you help me to trust you? Well, it's kind of interesting, you know. This is exactly what my friend and I did in the parking lot at our mechanic shop a few weeks ago. When we stopped in that certain place and realized that God was closer than we ever imagined, the only response was worship. And that's what we did. We, we just prayed together. We said, oh, God, thank you for the way you orchestrated this moment. But we didn't stop there. We asked God to help us to trust him. I said, Lord, would you help my friend, even in the midst of losing her father, to trust your grace, your love for her, to follow you today and this week? And God, would you help me to do the same? What if God is breaking into your life in ordinary moments, in unexpected ways, inviting you to acknowledge him, worship him, and to put your faith and trust in him? Well, it's kind of interesting. Almost 2,000 years later, Jesus shows up on the scene. 
and kind of just a little side comment. You know how Jesus announced his ministry when he began on earth? He said, the kingdom is near. The moment, the kairos moment is now. Repent and believe. God was breaking in. Jesus was coming near to the bottom step all the way from heaven to us. And it's kind of interesting. He actually, at one point in John's gospel, points back to this very encounter that Jacob had with God. One day Jesus has gathered with some of his followers and they're marveling at all the things that they're seeing Jesus do. And Jesus turns and he says, guys, I know you think this is pretty cool, but let me, let me tell you something even cooler. This is John 1 verse 50 he says, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on who? On the son of man. Jesus says, you know that ladder? You know that stairway that Jacob saw in the vision? I am that ladder. I am that stairway. I am the gate of heaven. I am God who has come from way up there down to the bottom step to be right here with you in this Kairos moment. And because of what Jesus has accomplished, you and I can now know that nearness and presence of God in the everyday moments of our lives. So how about you? How about you? Where do you find yourself in this season? You know, we're all living in a kind of certain place right now, aren't we? It might not be the place we want to be. It's a kind of in-between place. But God sometimes does his greatest work in those certain places. And maybe for some of you listening today, some of you watching online, maybe your step today is simply to decide to stop running, to stop running from God to stop running from your past, to stop just running after the busyness and haste of life, to stop and say, oh God, would you give me eyes to see your work in my life right now? Maybe for others of us, we, we know God's been tapping on our shoulder. We know God's been knocking on the door. And maybe the courageous step for us today is say, oh Lord, help me to worship you. Help me to put my faith and trust in you, Jesus. But for all of us, for all of us, I want you to hear today. God is writing a story in your life. He has a purpose for your life. And if you will open your eyes, if you will ask him to help you see it, he will show you where he is at work in your life right here, right now, today. And what if throughout these next few weeks in this series of God stories, as we look at how God works in the lives of others, what if you made this your prayer? God, would you teach me how to recognize your movement, the Kairos moments in my life, and would you teach me how to trust and follow you? What might he do with your story? How might your life be turned around if you would trust in him? Can I pray for us? Jesus, I am so thankful I'm so thankful that you did not stay up on that high and holy hill, but that you descended the staircase in all humility and love to come and be near us, to rescue us, to forgive us, to redeem us, and to give us life. Jesus, would you help us? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear the movement of your spirit in our lives and to recognize those Kairos moments, those little ways that you are working every day in every place in our lives? And as we see you there, would you give us the courage to worship you and the strength to follow you? Would you make our lives part of your story, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.